For several weeks, we have considered giants that must fall in our lives. We began with looking at some characteristics that are true of all of the giants that we face using the record of David and Goliath from 1 Samuel chapter 17. And as we looked at that account in the Word of God, we saw that our giants have similar characteristics. They are well-armed and armored. Draw your attention, taking it from where it should be, typically drawn to the attention of that giant itself. They use discouragement to stop you. But then we also learned that our giants are already defeated. Before you enter the valley with that giant, Jesus Christ has already gone into the valley of Elah for you. And that giant is defeated. Though defeated, though, they find space to operate and wreak havoc in our lives. Much like different creatures in nature can still be harmful even after death. Did you know that uh, perhaps if you handle a bee or a wasp after it's already dead, that stinger might still get you. Um, Pastor Giglio in his book, Goliath Must Fall, speaks about the reality that snakes, even after you've cut the head off, they might still bite as that nervous system does what it does after it's dead. Even though your giants are defeated, sin met its defeat at the cross, but it can still operate and wreak havoc in your lives, leaving us immobilized and unable to progress in our walks. Some face the giant. Some the giant despair. Some face anger. Others, the twins, guilt and shame. As we close out this series this evening, Let's talk about the giant fiction. Already, some may feel it unnecessary. Unfortunately, we view addictions only in terms of the major addictions. And so when you hear someone talk about addiction you might put your mind on one of those things that we consider major addictions that you may think, well, that, that major addiction, substance abuse, drugs, alcoholism, that's not a problem for me, so addiction isn't a problem for me. 
And so if we don't deal with one of these major addictions, we deny any issue with it. And two responses I would have to that first. Even in a crowd as we have in this series, in this service, there are likely some who deal with one of those major addictions. But then secondly, addiction is much wider than we recognize or would like to admit. And so perhaps we should define addiction so that we can begin to recognize that it really is wider than maybe we would admit. An official definition of addiction is a compulsive, chronic, physiological, or psychological need for a habit-forming substance, behavior, or activity having harmful physical, psychological, or social effects and typically causing well-defined symptoms. That's a, an official definition. Perhaps more of a secondary, less official definition is that addiction is a strong inclination to do, use, or indulge in something repeatedly. In layman's terms, addiction has been defined simply as something that you cannot live without. Here's how I will define addiction. I don't know if I, I've ever read this somewhere and it stuck with me and came back to memory or if it's original to me, I can't tell you. But here is how I would define addiction. Addiction is what you turn to instead of God when you should turn to God. Let me say that again. Addiction is what you turn to instead of God when you should turn to God. And there are many forms of addiction. Pastor Louis Giglio, again in his book, Goliath Must Fall, deal with this. He, he opened a chapter on addiction, dealing with some of those major addictions. But then he, he says that we need to cast a wider net for addiction than we typically do. Because it is something we can't live without. It's a, a habit or a pattern we can't change. And he names some of those addictions that we may not identify as addictions, but are. He, he speaks of addictions like an addiction to money. People who can't get enough of it and always need more. He, he speaks of those who are addicted to buying things and getting stuff. It, it almost becomes a therapy for people when they are experiencing difficulty or, or stress or, or pain. They, they need to go and get something. He, he even speaks of this being labeled among professionals as retail therapy. It's a thing. People go out and they spend money and get things to, to try to alleviate pressure and pain that they're experiencing in life. Accomplishments. People who always need to be feeling accomplished and it's never good enough and they keep pushing for more. Adrenaline can be a drug that people are addicted to. Some are addicted to pain. 
people who injure themselves or do harmful things to themselves. Some are addicted to people, to relationships. There is a relational issue for some that that they just can't get enough and and it becomes a problem when when they feel uh, like they're not getting what they need from others there's also an addiction that is probably as widespread as any today and it's the the addiction of the approval of others social media has really created an issue with this in our society there are many terms in the in the professional literature of psychology related to what they would call as um, disease or as is illness related now to social media do you know that that social media as do many addictions actually work to sabotage the reward center of the brain. You have a part of your brain that responds to different phenomena, different circumstances, different issues in life, and releases dopamine in your brain. It, it's a happy-feeling thing in, in, your, in your brain. And, and even things like getting reactions on social media release that dopamine do you know that that hearing your phone give the text message noise can do the same in your brain your brain will actually respond to that somebody liked my post somebody reaching out to me and it can become an addiction that people really struggle with and so in reality, though we often think of addiction as only being these major things, the truth is that addiction is much wider than we would like to admit to. And likely many, if not all of us, struggle with addiction in one form or another. And what we need to realize about addiction is that addiction tip. Addiction typically springs from some other experience or circumstance of life. In other words, addictions rarely, rarely develop in a vacuum. If all things are equal and you're not facing difficulties and pressures and problems in life, those are rarely the places that addictions develop. Addiction often develops or springs from an attempt to deal with some sort of pain. That's often when and where addiction develops. So what, what help does God's word have for addiction? I want you to understand that addiction is a complex issue. And I cannot deal with it completely in one message. But I want to give you some, some resources from the word of God that can help in the area of addiction. Look with me, if you would, at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Familiar passage. But I want us to look at it within the context of addiction this evening. The penman writes, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, 
looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The penman of Hebrews is writing to a group of Christians who were experiencing pain. They were experiencing pain in the form of persecution. They were on the verge of turning away from Jesus, not, not because of false teachers bringing in doctrine and heresy into the church like a church like the church at Galatia. These believers were on the verge of turning away from Jesus because of difficulty. They were persecuted. They were being forced to give up property and possession. It was being seized by the government. They were being put in prison, threatened with death. They had unsaved loved ones who were turning away from them because they had placed their faith in Christ. They were struggling, questioning, doubting. To these, this penman of Hebrews gives encouragement and exhortation. Beginning back in Hebrews 10 verse 19... And as he works through, starting there and going through this portion of chapter 12, encouraging them to stay the course, to stay faithful to Jesus, to endure. And there are four realizations that spring from these two verses that summarize the encouragement and exhortation given throughout the passage. Number one, he encourages and exhorts them with the spectators who look on. The spectators who look on. The first part of verse number one, he, sees, he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. It's a blessing to experience encouragement, isn't it? But it hurts to experience rejection. These believers that, that the penman of Hebrews is writing to were struggling with rejection, being turned away, denounced, and rejected by others. And he encourages and edifies them with the reminder that there were those around them who had gone before them first who were encouraging them. He speaks of it as a great cloud of witnesses. It includes the heroes of the faith that Hebrews 11 uh, talks about. These are portrayed as watching on, as, as if a stadium of people is filled cheering us on to encourage us to continue to live by faith as they did. Their lives demonstrate the practice, the power, and the prize of faith. If you work through Hebrews 11, you find that faith enabled Abel to please God, Enoch to be translated to heaven without dying, Noah to build an ark and escape God's wrath, Abraham and Sarah to leave their country, to look for a city built by God, conceive a child in old age, and offer Isaac in obedience to the Lord. Isaac to bless his sons according to God's plan. Jacob to worship God in the hour of his death. Joseph to speak of Israel's deliverance from bondage. Moses' parents to risk their lives to save his. Moses to leave 
Pharaoh's palace, forsake Egypt, endure and lead Israel, Joshua and Israel to defeat Jericho, Rahab to be saved when Jericho fell. And then it continues with, without naming heroes of the faith and just gives general record of those who endured by faith is listed in the Old Testament. Pick up in Hebrews eleven thirty two, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in the fight, turned to flight the, far, the armies of aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us, should not be made perfect. As we read about these, there's a connection between all of them. One is, is that they endured pain. They, they faced difficulties in life. You read the names listed here, and you know some of the difficulties and the challenges that they faced. We call this chapter the Hall of Faith. I want you to understand that these are not recorded for us to look up to as some lofty place we can't reach. Because as you read the names of those listed in Hebrews 11, you know what else stands out about them? None of them were perfect. They all had failures. They all struggled in, in different ways with... If you and I were to stop and begin to list some of those things about each of them, some of them had some pretty great failures, and yet they were known for their faith in God. They endured even through the pain, even through failure, through faith in God. And their lives speak to us today. The Bible here presents them as cheering us on, shouting, you've got this, you, you can do this, don't look to yourself, trust God, he's still the king, he's still good, he's still working, believe him, put your faith in him. And in this way, the author of Hebrews invites us to look to the past, to those who have gone before and be encouraged by their lives. And then secondly, I want you to see the stresses and sins to lay down. We're called upon to lay aside what will hinder us from effectively and victoriously living the Christian life. 
These are identified as weights and sins that easily beset us. We're called upon to lay these aside. It's the same word used in Romans 13, 12, where we're commanded to cast off the works of darkness. It's the same word used in Ephesians 4.22 where we are commanded to put off the old man. And we're to lay aside every weight. The Greek word translated every weight is the word akkos. And it means a perturbance. It, it's a tumor or swelling, an excess growth. For many of us, there are likely some weights that we're carrying, and those weights are hindering us from effectively running and victoriously running the race. And that weight may be in the form of an addiction that may not be sinful in and of itself. You do understand, don't you, that there are some things that you could be addicted to that in and of themselves are not, are not sinful. It's not a sinful behavior in and of itself. It's not a, a, a sinful thing to enjoy in and of itself. But when it becomes an addiction, what is an addiction? It is what we turn to when we should turn to God instead of turning to God. You're experiencing pain. You're experiencing pressure. You're experiencing some difficulty. And instead of running to God, you run to that activity. You run to that, that source of relief, that, that source of something that takes your mind away from the pain. And maybe it's something that needs to be laid aside, at least so that you first turn to God. But then there are those things that are sinful. He speaks of the sin that does so easily beset us. That language has the idea of sin that has the advantage because it's prevailing. It is your particular struggle. The sin that regularly rears its ugly head in your life. And for each of us, it may be something different. But the reality is, listen very carefully, that every one, has a sin that they are more prone to. You might be more prone to anger than someone sitting next to you. You may be more prone to, to greed, to envy or jealousy. You might be more prone to fear. You might be more prone to worry or, or sinful anxiety than than others. You might be more prone to lust, lustful thoughts, lustful activity. You might be more prone to, you fill in the blank, there is a sin that all of us are prone to. And that is your besetting sin. It's whatever sin has the advantage in your life. It's whatever sin is prevailing over you, whatever sin has you in its grips. And the Bible says we need to lay it aside. For the Hebrews, we could clearly identify their besetting sin as unbelief. The penman regularly deals with unbelief. 
go back to the warning passage of Hebrews 3 and 4 over and over again. Penman of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Spirit, identifies unbelief as a problem for them. And maybe that is what you struggle with. You struggle with believing God to fulfill His word. To keep his promises, to act for your good and his glory. It may be something else. Is it fear? Unrighteous or unresolved anger? Addiction? Anxiety and worry? Lustful thoughts? Unfaithfulness of some sort? For God's sake and for the sake of effective and victorious living, we are called upon to lay it aside, confess it. Let God clean you and cut it off and out of your life once and for all. You see, often, especially as it relates to some addictive behavior or practice, our typical activity, people's typical activity with addiction is to conceal it. Even if it's something they want to get victory over. But friends, victory doesn't come through concealing, it comes through confession. The Bible speaks about those who conceal, who try to hide their sin versus those who confess, who, who lay it out before the Lord. And it is those who confess, lay it out before the Lord, who, who find forgiveness and healing. Confess it. Let God clean you and cut it out of your life. Then I want you to see, thirdly, the spur to go on. And this is very interesting. The writer now, he's called us to look to the past, to those who went before us, who now are cheering us on. He interjects this laying aside of the weights and sin that easily besets us. Now he gives us an encouragement to go on. At the end of verse number one, he says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us we look to the past those who have gone before who cheer us on now he asks us to look around ourselves present notice he doesn't simply say you run your race what what does he say let us run the race that is set before us Friends, you need to listen carefully and don't miss this. Once again, just as addiction is rarely, if ever, uh, you get the victory over it when you conceal it rather than confess it, rarely is it ever something that you'll get victory over individually. It takes community. It takes the help and encouragement of others. And he speaks about that here. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us He speaks of having patience. It's not simply waiting, but it's the steady continuation of running in spite of opposition and unplanned, uncaused difficulties, pain, pressure that comes your way. But the encouragement in this part of the passage is that you're not alone. Again, he doesn't say you run your race. He says let's run our race. Just as we can look to the past and see those who have gone before, who encourage and cheer us on to continue, God has put us in a family. 
I loved, uh, as I was out and about, I don't remember if it was yesterday or Friday, but another church in town, their church sign currently reads, church isn't a place you go, it's a family you belong to. And I loved that. God has placed us as believers in Jesus Christ, not, not not as simply running alone through this life he has placed us in a community a family with others around us and that's an encouragement to us there are others running this race beside us not as competitors we're not in a race where where we're seeking to to beat out everybody else and get first place We are running alongside brothers and sisters who run as companions with us. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8, 9. It it brings this thought to bear. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Then notice what he says. Knowing... That the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Why would he say that last part of the statement? You've got an enemy, the devil. He's looking to destroy you. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. Endure through that pain, that pressure, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren who are in the world often. Specifically in this area of addiction, people who are experiencing an addiction can come to this place where they think, I'm alone. I'm the only one who deals with this. Nobody else struggles with this. Nobody else has this problem that I have. And do you know the reality is just the opposite? There are often many others right around you who have the same struggles, who who have the same difficulties, who have fought the same battles, who are fighting the same battles. And that's not meant to be a a downer. That's meant to be an encouragement. You are not alone. God has placed us within a community, a family, where we are a support system, where we are each strengthened as we lean on one another. And it's meant by God to be a help, to be a blessing to us. And so the writer of Hebrews says, you can look back to those who have gone before. They're cheering you on. You can look right now at the present, at your brothers and sisters who are running this race beside you, not as competitors, but as companions. You can lean on, support, encourage one another. And by the way, friends, there's, there's a challenge for all of us in that let's encourage and edify one another. I, I, I hope and pray that if, if we were in a situation where Someone within our family confessed out of, out of a sense of this is what I need to do, confessed to our entire church family, 
I'm struggling with this. I'm dealing with this. That our response would be to open up our arms in love and pour out grace on that hurting family member. Rather than, rather than offering rejection and, and just furthering that pain. Because that's how we should act and respond. Sometimes we all need someone to come alongside us to tell us to keep going, to keep running. Who's done it before. But we also need those to come alongside us who are running the race with us right now, when, when we're carrying extra weight, or even engaged in activities or attitudes that the Bible says are wrong, not to, not to condemn, not to criticize, but to encourage and edify, to build up, not tear down. And then I want you to see, finally, the Savior to look to. And, and here's what's really neat. Of Hebrews says, look at the past. There are those who have gone before that are cheering you on. Look at the present. There are there are those who are running this race with you. You're not alone. And now, as he calls us to uh, and speaks to us about the Savior to look to, he's really calling us to a future perspective. You say a future perspective. Wait a minute. Jesus already came. Jesus already gave his life. Yes, but look at what he speaks to us in relation to Jesus about. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was what? Set before him. What does the author tell us Jesus did? He looked ahead. As he... Jesus was running his race. As he was running the course that the Father set before him, that included the cross. Jesus looked ahead. He looked beyond the cross. To what? The joy that was set before him. And so he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The penman uses this to encourage and exhort us. We have a Savior to look to. And the word looking here is an emphatic word. It identifies a definite looking away from one thing to something else. Do you remember we said in the first message, and I reminded you of it tonight, one thing our giants all have in that are that is similar, the characteristic that is true of all of them is they draw your attention away. They get you to gaze at, to turn your gaze away from where it should be to something else. Now the author of Hebrews challenges us, turn your gaze away. It's a definite looking away from one thing to something else. If you're caught up in an addiction, the reality is that you probably aren't in area at least looking to Jesus as you should. You're focused on the pain. You're focused on the pressure. You're focused on yourself you're focused on defeat what do, what do you mean by that pastor if you're already caught up in that behavior that activity 
I'm already defeated, so, so why, why try now to stop? Why try now to get victory? It's already got me. And you're focused there. And with your focus there, you will never have victory. Turn your eyes away from whatever it is that has your attention to Jesus. Look to him, the author and the finisher of your faith. That calls you to look to the future, doesn't it? As we talked about this morning, the totality of your salvation. The, the final product that you will be in heaven someday. Now, by that, God's intention isn't for us to think, well, you know, I'll be that final product someday, so who cares about the here and now? No, we need to be growing. That's his desire for us. We need to be moving forward in our walk with him, not stuck immobilized where we are by that giant. Look to Jesus again. He's already gone into that valley for you. That giant is already defeated. You feel defeated. You think you're the one that defeated. And the reality is that giant is the one that's defeated. Because Jesus has already won that victory. So as Jesus did, look beyond to the victory that God has already given. One writer writing about this text said, let's look to Jesus, crucified, risen, and glorified. Let's look to Jesus and not to ourselves. Not to the world, not to a denomination, our position in the church, our prayers, Bible reading, strengths, weaknesses, not to our troubles, not to our successes or failures, not to our faith or repentance, but to Jesus Christ himself. Another said, are you tempted? Look unto Jesus. Are you afflicted? Look unto Jesus. Do all speak evil of you? Look unto Jesus. Do you feel cold, dull, and backsliding? Look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus and see who he is. He's the Savior who saves people from their sin. Look unto Jesus and see what he's done. He's taught us how to endure suffering and shame in light of the victory that comes when the race is over. Look unto Jesus and see where he is. He's at the Father's right hand, eternally enthroned and exalted in his place of power and authority. That Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, which he, God, wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church." He's overall. And as we take this in, reflect on it, and apply the encouragement and exhortation of this passage, remember the exhortation and edification begins really in Hebrews 10, 19. If you go back to Hebrews 10, in verses 35 and 36, the writer says this, "'Cast not away therefore your confidence.'" which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise.
promise. And so, we conclude with that simple thought. Look to Jesus. There are many things that could and do take away our eyes from looking to Jesus. Many things that would cause us to lose heart, to pick up weights, to be hindered by besetting sins. The reality is that we all have experienced pain that we could focus on and try to find relief from. We all face pressure that we could seek to seek to find a release in some way. Many of us have and do. But those things aren't the answer. Don't throw away your confidence. Endure. There are those who have gone before cheering you on to keep going. There are those running the race beside you right now as companions who will encourage and support you. You have a mighty Savior to look to. Look to Him. Today, if, if you're caught up in some addiction, and may, maybe you came into the service knowing it, I hope that this message will just begin to be a source of healing and health. Maybe you came in not, not even recognizing any problem with addiction in your life, and maybe as we've cast a wider net of addiction, you've realized, wow, no, there is... There is something that I regularly turn to when I ought to turn to God. That, that, I, that I turn to instead of Him. I hope this message will be a source of help and healing. But there are many who face addiction who need help. If you need help, seek the help that you need. I hope that God would use it in your life.